Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Dr. Carol Francis. Welcome to Make Life Happen. Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Elizabeth Krim. Hello, Dr. Krim. How are you doing out there? I'm doing well. Thank you, Dr. Well. Francis, for having me. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're here because you both represent uh, the stable force of psychotherapy as it's done in the Western world, as well as you have a very broad way of looking at healing and health and uh, emotional and mental well-being. And you're going to tie all of that in together for us, aren't you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm. That's what I'm all about right now. That's what I'm yeah. doing at, at every turn. It seems. It's it's the uh, the call and the passion right now. That's wonderful. So. Well, before we get too far into the program, I do want you to let people know how to contact you because I know that they're going to want to contact you as they hear you speak. So what's your contact information? Okay. My um, office phone number is 310-371-2800. And my website is www.moonstonecenter.com. That's M-O-O-N-S-T-O-N-E Center, C-E-N-T-E-R dot com. And my email is Elizabeth Krim, Ph.D. at MoonstoneCenter dot com. And Elizabeth is spelled with an S. So. Yes, I have been told that <laughs> over and over and over. Yes, okay. I'm, I'm writing that out. You are now on Twitter and Facebook as of this very moment uh, as oh, having speaking. So callers, do call in if you want to. But we are going to go ahead and go forward. Tell, tell us a little bit about your background in terms of the realm of being a psychologist, a psychotherapist, a counselor. T- tell us about your passion being there in that spot and what your background has been up to this point. Oh, wow. That's an in-depth question, isn't it? I have a <laughs> Ph.D. from uh, from Fuller Theological Seminary, their graduate school of psychology. I got that in 98. I also have a master's in theology that I got from Fuller. But prior to that, I had a master's in our earned my master's in counseling um, in 1990 at Regent University. So I, I practiced as a therapist for a couple of years um, and found myself not fulfilled, needing more, wanting more, wanting more knowledge, more understanding, and decided to go back and get my Ph.D. And it was in that process that I um, I ended up at Fuller, and that's how I got to California. I, I grew up in Tennessee, and most of my training was back at the in the south and the east um, prior to this. So, you know, my journey has been very focused in psychotherapy. I am a psychotherapist. A lot of psychologists do testing. I'm trained in that. I can read the reports. I don't do testing. Um, my heart and my passion are, are the psychotherapy. I love seeing the healing and the, the wholeness that happens in people, which I think is it's that passion and that focus that's led me to come to embracing the body work because to have truthful healing we have to look at the whole person. It's not going to happen without looking at all aspects of the self. So what do you mean by the whole person? Because you know, that's going to have a different definition for anybody that's living their life. So what what is your vision of the whole person? Well, I, the way I understand people now, I mean, even back you know, when I first started as a therapist, I remember one of my uh, in my training, one of my professors says, how do you define health? And the word that came to mind even then was balance. And I don't think I fully knew what that would mean to me later. Um, mm-hmm. But 
but now I, I see that as more of balanced and integrated between – with Moonstone Center, which I'm the director of, and, and in my practice, when I look at people, I see them as mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational beings. And mm-hmm. and that – it's all those aspects that I am seeing when I look at an individual now. Um, I don't necessarily specialize in each of those areas, um, I definitely think psychotherapy attends to the mind and the emotions and the relational aspects. Um, it can relate to the body, but you know we're not trained as psychologists to be attending to all the physiological processes necessarily, mm-hmm. unless you're neuropsych. But um, mm-hmm. so I mean, that, but I'm looking at the person in all those realms and expecting to to attend to them in some way. And and how I'm doing that is through creating collaborative treatment teams. Um, with other like-minded and strong and respected professionals in the disciplines that I'm not trained in. So the person comes into you and they are, let's say, emotionally depressed or anxious. Let's go for the two of the most common reasons yeah. people get treatment. Yeah, and so they're anxious or they're depressed. And they do have situations in their life where th- those sorts of emotional responses make sense, you know, to be depressed or anxious. Um, how how would you take uh, let's let's just make up a fictitious name. How would you take Nancy C who comes in there uh, had have have a divorce in their background, raising kids, um, facing uh, a job complications and money tension, and having to tend to the well being of elderly parents? And okay, so there you go. You have someone that comes and, and greets you. How do you? configure a whole person point of view under a scenario of that sort? Well, I mean, even as you're describing each layer of stressor, um, I I could feel my own uh, tension increasing that anybody listening to someone carrying all those different aspects would be uh, feeling stressed. And I think when you talk about being stressed, even if they come from a very centered, healthy uh, core, maybe there's no trauma in their background, maybe there's no... um, you know, they have good attachment experiences back into their early childhood, which is typically not the I mean, we all have injuries. I don't know anyone that doesn't have some injury that goes back into their childhood or a miss from a parent. Um, and then, you know, but you, if you just look at these life stressors, you're going to know that she's going to be affected. I want to know. I want to also assess how she's doing, what she's doing to take care of her nutrition, what she's doing, how is her um, self-care, what is her care of self practice. And I don't just mean... You know, are you, you know, going and taking a bath? That's important. But, I mean, are you having, are you actively paying attention to your body and what your body needs, and are you being present in the moments in these interactions with people? Um, I want to hear how she's making sense of all of this. And, and the psychotherapy that I do is more psychodynamic. It's traditional. That part of my work does not change. I think what does change and what has changed over time is attending to looking at how she's breathing, looking at her posture, mm-hmm. um, listening to the pace and the tone of how she's speaking. Is she making eye contact? How is she moving in the session? What's her daily schedule like outside? I, I want to know how she is in her body. I want to know how she is in her body when we talk about certain topics versus others. Um, sometimes what some people find is stressful actually invigorates others and it feeds them. So you mm-hmm. also want to just pay attention to what that person's doing and how their body I, that's the sh- the biggest shift is that I'm watching their body. 
Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm I'm taking them into yoga poses or having them do stretches. I do encourage my clients to breathe. I can't tell you how many people mm-hmm. don't breathe. They just do not breathe. And even asking someone to breathe who's struggling with major anxiety or depression or going through a trauma that, you know, that fight or flight mechanism has them catch their breath. And they kind of live in that sustained uh, on alarm state. And and watching that in the therapy session, I'm wanting to raise their awareness not only of their emotional process but what their body is doing and how their mm-hmm. body is expressing that emotional process. Mm-hmm. So, so now, now, so while you're while you're watching them, you're being able to collect all this uh, this frame of reference for yourself. You're able to, um, to to feel them, to note them, to observe them. How do you, in the course of that session, or any session, help them do that for themselves and then regulate uh, to to, uh, uh, an evolved position in the moment? How do you do that? Um, That is where I bring in other parts of my treatment team. And I'm not saying I don't do it myself. I'm... In the psychotherapy, again, I really want to stress that it's not that different from other psychotherapy. I'm going to cue them to what they're thinking and feeling in the moment. Because I'm psychodynamic in my orientation, I'm looking at what's happening between the client with me um, and what they're feeling with me. Um, People replay their attachment patterns over and over and over again in their lives, and that's going to include the therapist they're sitting with. So I'm looking at those dynamics I'm raising their awareness to that. I'm checking in with them. If they have anger with me or, um, you know, maybe sometimes they're happy with me. You know, we sometimes they're feeling very strongly positive toward me, it's, and sometimes it's very negative, and I'm exploring all of those things and making those more aware. But but that aspect of it is more of the typical therapy that I would have been doing for the last 25 years. You know, I mean, that, that hasn't changed that dynamic and that approach. But what's different is that I'm... I have a treatment team now, and this is where Moonstone Center comes in. It's kind of evolved into a whole team. It's a network of independent professionals. And I have a yoga therapist who I trust completely because um, she's very honoring and um, committed to mm-hmm. assessing throughout and uh, you know, creating and developing the yoga interventions that are specific to that individual. You know, what kind of mm-hmm. breath work do they need to do? What postures are they able to do and need to do based on what they're bringing into her that day? And and that is an, a practice that teaches them in, to be in their body. Mm-hmm. And so there's this um, additional process that I'm not trained um, to lead someone through all the different aspects of yoga, nor would I want to, um, because I don't, I don't feel trained to hand, make sure they're in a posture safely, <laughs> you know, and I don't know all the different types of breaths that there are. There are lots of types of breath in yoga, but I don't know them all. And I'm even the ones I do know, I wouldn't be sure I'm at the level to teach someone else how to do them. Do you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. there's there's training required in that. And so I will tell the, the client or the patient to breathe or I'll cue them to that, but I don't feel like I need to teach them all the different types of breaths. Um, Simone Marquet is the the yoga therapist I work with and when I refer clients to her she'll say well I taught them bumblebee breath or I taught them this type of breath or um, lion's breath and and, and it's these different types of breath or these different postures more restorative postures versus more active postures depending on the patient Mm -hmm. and that grounds them 
in their body. And then she and I, um, Simone, the yoga therapist, and I are teaming. We contact each other between sessions. We give reports. Sometimes, often, I would say, but not always, our work feels very parallel in process. What's happening mm. in her body work is happening in my talk therapy. Mm. So, so it's a very it, powerful you, thing. It sounds, sounds really interesting. Do you notice mm-hmm. a big difference uh, if, we, if we compare clients that do not take advantage of the the, the yoga interface, uh, the parallel work there, and those that do? Do you what 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 are some of the differences that you notice? Well, I can tell you, I kind of moved into this. Um, I believe in it so strongly, Carol, kind of by accident, if if you will. And, and at some point I, I need to talk just to kind of ground more why I believe in this in my own history because I struggle with chronic fatigue and, and some chronic illness for a period of time, and I still manage the fatigue. Um, and so I learned through that I, I saw my own um, – the the parallel process, I mean, the, the the dynamic between the mind and the body, I would. it got to the point that I was so sensitive that if I had a stressful day or if it was emotional, all of my physical symptoms would kick off. So I began mm-hmm. to, to go, wow, you know, I mean, this. what is this? I was kind of one of your cynics out there going, yeah, 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 all this body stuff, even though I was a runner and I valued the body. Um, and so it was through my own, I got so sick that the only physical thing I could do was yoga, gentle yoga restorative mm. yoga. I couldn't even do the standing poses at one point. It's just too much mm. for me. Um, but through that, I I really got in tune with my body and discovered this mind-body link at a very um, personal level. So it was through that I was working with a client, one of my first clients that I referred to Simone, and I had been with this client for two years, and I do long-term therapy. I was meeting with her mm. twice, a, twice a week. I being with a client six to ten years is, doesn't phase me. Um, being with them shorter is fine, but it's a lifelong process of rebuilding attachments is the way I view it, and I'm I'm in there for the long haul. And people come and do deep work and leave and come back, you know. Um, but this particular client had reached a stuck point, and I think those of us who do therapy know we have clients where things kind of get stuck, and you, you can try to create insight and you can work through emotions and you can talk about the feelings and those are incredibly important. But there's sometimes when it feels like you're just looping around the same issue and we're not really moving. And I thought, and this particular client was very shut down, could not make eye contact, but she had made it a goal to make eye contact with me. And it mm-hmm. would take every bit of her effort to raise her eyes up and look at me before she would shut them back down. Mm-hmm. And um, I just... After a while, I thought, gosh, she's so shut down. Her body was rigid. She was just hanging on. It just had the posture of hanging on and being afraid. And even though she could tell me that she liked me, she trusted me, she wasn't okay if she didn't come in for therapy, as far as her overt relationship with me, it wasn't a problem. It's just that she couldn't let go and be in it fully. Mm -hmm. So I just said, you know, God, I think that I'm going to refer this I'm going to make a referral to Simone. Now, Simone is a trained, certified yoga therapist. She's not just a yoga teacher. And there's some amazing yoga teachers out there who are doing really good work. But I do want to clarify that the yoga therapy, and we can talk about this more later too, but the the yoga therapy is another level of training and credentialing. And um, Loyola Marymount has a program. And not all yoga therapists are in the mental health field. In fact, most are... I don't know if most, but a lot of them are doing work with cardiology or other um, types of, um, you know, physiological things, 
stress and, mm-hmm. you know, stroke victims and, you know, pain and leg joint problems, you know, these kinds of things that make you think more physical therapy and that type of stuff. But mm-hmm. Simone, I'm like, I need you. Can we work on this in mental health? And she's like, sure, I'm game. Huh. <laughs> you know, let's learn how to do this together. And the, to, to Simone's credit, and this is part of what we teach in the collaborative treatment teaming program that we teach and when Simone and I teach both to yoga therapists as well as to mental health professionals, is is the deep respect to honor each other's field and tradition and mm-hmm. what you're trained in because she was mm-hmm. very wanting to un- much wanting to understand and um, get and respect the dynamics of the therapy and the mental and relational functioning of this particular client. She wasn't rushing in going, oh, I know what to do. I've got yoga. I'll take her off your hands, um, which is mm. a thought out there. There are people out yes, there who sure. think that, that yoga will take care of everything, and it's just not true. Yoga takes care of a lot, and some people may get all they need from it. But if you're truly working on a mental, emotional, relational dynamic, you're going to need to do the psychotherapy with someone who's trained in how to work through the process of the relational attachment with you and correct it and heal it and highlight it. And so Simone recognizes that. The yoga therapist I work with respects that, respects our field, respects mental health and psychotherapy. She respects psychiatry. I mean, there's no conflict there. Um, She's not trying to take that over. But what she did do was assess this client's body. In the first session, she saw her once and she said, wow, her body was so locked up, just beginning to do slow, gentle opening poses was a big deal. Um, and helping her begin to do breath work was, um, you know, she said, we just have to get her breathing. And often she'll start there because people aren't breathing. But she said, we have to get her started breathing. But I want to tell you something, Carol, this is where I was like, oh, my God. And I I shifted probably on this experience. She came back after one session and the first five minutes of, or not even five minutes, probably one minute wasn't, you know, one minute can feel like a long time in a session. But, she came in, naturally made eye contact with me, and held it for wow. a period of time. I know. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Isn't wow. that amazing? So mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, look what, I mean, I can get choked up over it still. I'm like, look what happened for this wow. young woman who's been struggling to mm-hmm. look at me in the eye and could not do it, could not release to do it, mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. one session of yoga, and her body released her to do it. So I guess what I'm what I'm saying is I I am a believer by stumbling into this and now I research it and now I study it and I find it's supported in so many places. You know, we've, we're finding it happening everywhere in the field. I think it's the mm-hmm. birth, it's the next place we're going in our field. Your radio show, you know, you have you're addressing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they, I think this is where we're going, but it's profound. You know, it's profound the difference, and it doesn't mean psychotherapy not working. It just means it needs a partner. It needs more to complete the whole person's healing. Hmm. Well, that's very that's a very dynamic description. I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking the the ability to attach to your own body as associated mm-hmm. to the ability to attach to another person. We, you know, I deal a lot with individuals in intimacy, uh, sexual intimacy, holding, cuddling. Uh, just being close, sharing proximity with other people is very much a connection with one's own body as it is yeah. uh, an interface with another person. So if you're not attached to your own body and feeling at ease or at least familiar in that space, whether it's at ease or not, it's hard to be in the presence of someone else's body as well. Absolutely. So 
it's a, it's a beautifully um, illustrated experience of that. Now, yeah. can you can you talk? I know that you definitely do breathing as a stress uh, oh, management is like what we say in our field, but sure, sure. a stress reduction or a stress um, uh, coordination. So that I know you do that in your sessions. <laughs> so yeah, how? Yeah. Let's say a person is listening right now, and they're and they are feeling stressed. They're stressed enough to want to connect with us and to have mm-hmm. this talk. Mm-hmm. So, how how do you tell them right now to pay attention to their breathing and to be mindful of it, even though you're not the yoga breathing specialist? Right. Um, what, what what would you do? What do I do? What do I do? If, mm-hmm. I, if, I, if someone were in session with me um, or if someone were just in dialogue with me about this, then I'm going to use the session context. Um, I just ask them, are you breathing? <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised how that simple mm-hmm. question, all of a sudden the person sometimes is surprised um, that I would care mm-hmm. about something physiological in the middle of whatever we're talking about. Because um, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a big, it's a leap from the depth of the content. Do you know what I mean? We may be talking about something very heavy, mm-hmm. but I watch that they've stopped breathing and they're just in not moving. Um, mm-hmm. Or if they are moving and talking, I haven't seen their chest rise or fall once, you know. Mm-hmm. So that means if they're getting air and they're not getting much and I don't know how much, it's not moving their chest, you know. Um, I mean, in yoga, they have three-part yogic breath, and if you're really following the breath, the breath goes all the way from the, the stomach area up through the middle chest up to the upper chest. I mean, it's huge. It's a huge amount of breath that we can hold in our bodies. So, I mean, I can tell as I'm talking to you I'm not breathing as well, so I've got to <laughs> slow down and do that too. <laughs> I've noticed when I speak. Oh, oh, Dr. Krim, I'm breathing deeply. I'm just doing that deep three-part breathing as you talk okay, about you it. you go ahead and do that. I'll try to catch up. <laughs> I've noticed when I speak that I don't breathe because I'm running at a higher level, and um, and sometimes sure. I'll do it even right now. I just need to take a deep breath. Sometimes just doing one of those breaths, I don't know if you can tell, but I felt like my pace slowed. I hmm. I, I notice that my energy, my talking pace will change. I settle more into my body if I take another breath. I mean, this is what I will do with my client. Let's, let's just take one more breath right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good with that. Yeah. And if you just, I feel myself. See, this is the other thing I notice with my clients is that as, a, and this also addresses where we, Moonstone Center's other part is working with the professionals. Um, and attending to our own countertransference, and that's a big term in our field. I mean, if, if therapists are listening, they know what it means, but those who aren't therapists, um, it's kind of about what our process is, what our emotional, mental, relational process is during the sessions. And, and what I've started talking about is the somatic transference, that we have a physiological process that's going on while we're treating our patients as well. Yeah. If you've listened to someone's trauma stories, if you really pay attention to your own body, you're you're getting your stomach may be tightening. You may have emotion that you're not sure you should express or not. Um, you know, you're having your own response. Um, they talk about it as vicarious trauma or secondary trauma that we mm-hmm. often, as provi- mental health professionals and healthcare professionals, are also traumatized just by engaging with and attaching very intimately with our clients who've been through these things. So, so one of the events that we 
do is called Restoring the Healer. Moonstone puts that on, and I lead that with Simone Marquet where we use the restorative yoga and teach all those processes so that we are teaching the professionals to take care of themselves. Because if you think about how much we take in sitting across from our clients, and we want to be there with our clients, but if you think about the level of pain and emotion that we sit with and hold um, and often don't let go of if we're not conscious about it, um, we're, we're kind of in need of that as well. So not kind of, but we are. We are in need of attending to that as well. So... Um, I was going off on this about the breathing. You were asking about the breathing. Um, well, I know you're talking. You're <laughs> go ahead. Go, go ahead. What? What? I mean, you're 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 just you know you we we moved you into breathing. You moved me into breathing already prior to that, and you're mm-hmm. you're saying that the awareness of the therapist is absolutely essential in terms of being able to to have more room to take the client in, and at the same time, not take the client in on a level that's going to bruise. The therapist any farther. Mm-hmm. Well, and knowing that sometimes we are bruised. I mean, it's kind of like we're going into some some deep places, and so we need our own um, recovery. We need our own yeah. restoration. I mean, that's why we call it restoring the healer. It's you know, mm-hmm. some people talk about it as healing the healer, and I think that's an apt term as well or apt phrase. But I, mm-hmm. the reason I specifically talk about restoring the healer is because it's saying we want to. You've been through something. We need to restore you. So that you can go back in again, so that you can be there again, you can be there fully. I mean, we hear about compassion fatigue and mm-hmm. burnout that therapists are experiencing, and it is very real. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. some of my own chronic fatigue process is from years of doing deep attachment trauma work. I mean, you know, my first years as a therapist, I was on a, a grant for the lo- for that county that I was working in had a child sexual abuse grant, and I saw a lot of children who had been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. And people would often say to me, how do you handle it so well? You never seem thrown. And I was like, I think it just must be a gift because I'm not affected. I just, you know, do the treatment, walk out the door, and I'm there. I'm fully present when I'm there, but I'm not feeling it. And then, you know, years later I start crashing. And um, mm-hmm. my body, I think, was handling quite a bit, you know, without mm-hmm. me paying attention. And uh, and I think that's why the yoga, to me, is so powerful because mm-hmm. it's slower yeah the full body, it's mind, body, spirit, it's incorporated. You can attend to all of those in yoga if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's room for it. So that, that's part of why I like the yoga so much. But some people may want other routes as well. I mean, not, not everybody's into yoga. Um, but You know, we, we have a, a caller. Would you be interested in taking sure. a caller? Sure. Okay, sure. Well, let's find out. Hello, hello, caller. This is Dr. Carol Francis. I'm with Dr. Elizabeth Krim. What's your first name? Uh, hello, this is Pete. Hi, Pete. Um, and do you have a do you have a question for Doctor Doctor Krim? Yeah, yeah, I do. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the the yoga part. Um, I, I'm kind of struggling with that, and I'm, I'm hoping you can help me understand. I, I have just the, the tiniest um, uh, experience with yoga. You know, my wife and I went to one class. That's all my experience. But you know, I went to the class, and I was expecting lots of things, and when I left, I felt like, well, I've really stretched my body out well, but that's it. So I, I, I'm kind of at a loss of, does, does that mean I would be someone, if I came into your office, you would say, oh, probably not a good candidate for yoga, or is there something going on there that I'm just not understanding? Oh, great question, Pete. Thanks. Uh, Dr. Krim, what's your response yeah. to that? 
Um, well, Pete, thank you for calling in. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually struck by how common uh, that question or that comment or that that response to when I introduce yoga comes into my office. Um, I'm not wanting to be uh, gender biased or sexist or anything, but a lot more men <laughs> question the purpose of yoga or they say they've had an experience with it and they're like, well, it didn't do much for me. Um, um, so that that is not uncommon. I also find a lot of people who are runners don't um, aren't as open or you know say, well, I run. That's how I tend to my body. Um, and I was a runner, and I miss it. I, I really am not um, running anymore because sometimes it sets my fatigue off, and at this point, my knees aren't so great. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of those pieces in it. But um, so I get, I know what running can do, and I know what a good strong workout can do, and doing the weights. I used to do all those things. Um, for me, I'm not doing them now in part because of um, because of my own body's process, you know, my own health. But what I discovered with the yoga is it's not, I'm not recommending the yoga as a workout or as a place to replace that. Um, If you want to be a runner, I say still keep running. Um, But the yoga is there, and especially when I make a referral to yoga, I'm usually making a referral not just to go take a class. I'm making a referral to a yoga therapist, which would be an individual assessment with someone who's going to pay attention to how you are in your body and looking at how your mind thinking stuff, you know, all that emotional heady stuff is disconnected or how integrated it is with your awareness, with your body and what you're doing with your body Um, and, and how flexible you are in certain areas or how able to move in and out of poses you are. How is your breath? All these pieces that really aren't about workout or stretching or just a purely physiological experience. Um, the yoga therapist I, wor- I refer to in yoga therapy in general can include what they call as asanas, which are the postures and the movement, um, uh, pranayama, which is the breath and the different types of breathing. There's also um, chanting and mudras and um, meditation, and, and there's all these different things that can be taught. And if you integrate meditation and mindfulness while you're in your body, you would be amazed at what you can get in tune with that your body is doing and what emotions you become aware of or uh, thought processes that you become aware of while you're moving. I mean, there's so much going. We're such complex beings that the reason I like yoga and referring to yoga therapists is they they are able to look at that complexity and not try to take on the psychotherapy aspect of that complexity and refer it back to me, and we can team over that. So it's it's just a very – the yoga is not necessarily to replace your exercise routine, um, and it's not to go and say, okay, i got a real big meditation out of it, unless you're actively learning how to meditate and be mindful. Um, so I don't know if that's helpful, but I, I know that a lot of people have – I can also say this. I have a lot of clients who start out and don't go to yoga for quite a while, and some never do um, because of some of the issues that Pete raised. But I I also have some clients that have gone at it by saying, well, I don't really want to go individually with someone yet. Let me try a class. Um, I have some clients that won't go where I recommend but will go to another studio or another teacher, and I try to partner with them as well and, you know, gaming experience as much as I can as well, so... Pete, do you have a follow-up question on that? Or <clears throat> Yes, um, just one. Do you have everyone, do you recommend everyone uh, include yoga, or is that just some of your 
um, patients or uh, you recommend yoga to? That's a good question. Um, I I don't have as like, okay, if you come to Dr. Elizabeth Krim, you're going to go to here. You know, it's not a, um, a regimen. Um, I assess everybody individually. And, um, you know, some people come in with a yoga practice and they're already actively there and they're attuned to their body and I can reference that and I don't feel as strong of an urge to send them to that referral. But I'm always considering it. It's just like with psychiatry. I see the yoga therapist, the acupuncturist. We haven't talked about that too much. But the acupuncturist that I refer to, I see them equally in my mind as when do I, do I need to refer, when do I refer, as I would with a psychiatrist. If someone comes in with anxiety and depression, I've got kind of one eye watching. Do they need medication? Do they need an evaluation for medication? You know, are they getting medication treatment already? I'm kind of looking at all of those pieces and just assessing so that I am doing my best practice of offering psychotherapy, which includes making appropriate referrals to create the team around the client I'm treating, not just what I do in that therapy hour. Thanks, Peter. Really appreciate your question. Oh, oh, okay. Thanks. Okay. I appreciate your answer, uh, Dr. Krim, in terms of of, of that type of difficulty. Um, it, it, I, individuals walk into our office and they have so many different styles and ways of expressing their needs as well as expressing the way they're going to be healed. I believe that some people heal because they do do those hard cardiovascular workouts and they pour mm-hmm. those endorphins in their system and they get the mm-hmm. circulation and the vigor and the vim. And that's an antidepressant. We now know that's an antidepressant, one of the most effective as well as it helps with um, brain function. Absolutely. For stall Alzheimer's and dementia. That Correct. rigorous cardiovascular exercise is essential for uh, so many individuals. Uh, yoga, uh, my understanding, has so many different types uh, that some are vigorous to the point of being way beyond the cardiovascular high-mile <laughs> run, and some are the gentle and the calming. And then we have those individuals coming into our office that need to have peace because they have no sense of peace or rhythm. And other individuals need to have vigor because they have no sense of outlet for the the uh, anxiety and angst. Some of us right. are expressive and some of us are repressive. Some of us mm-hmm. need to go out there and, and be dynamic, and others of us need to go inside and be calm. So and those are just some of many variations of how people walk into our office. And I yes. think that people, question is so good. Is every therapist going to use the same hammer for every individual? And the answer is no. No. We can't afford to use that same hammer because that same hammer doesn't match the variations of individuals that walk into our office. That's one reason I love this profession. There's so much variation and there's no need for us to be adherent to just one modality or approach. That's Um, correct. correct. What's your reaction to all of that? Well, no, I'm I'm saying yes, 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 and I, I'm really glad that you, you know, I'm really talking about the yoga but in response to the question, but I really am glad that yeah. you're also really honoring the role of other exercise and, you know, running and endorphins and all those pieces. And you are right. There's lots of types of yoga. Um, and, and I think what I'm also saying with the yoga is that I'm re- referring to a specific person to help guide that person into their process. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean don't go running. It doesn't mean if you're a biker, don't go biking. You know, it's absolutely, it's about being in your body and 
paying attention. I think also, you know, when you were saying it's individualized and looking at, I think a lot of therapists out there, not a lot, I shouldn't say a lot, but I think there are those out there who do kind of can can get stuck in a rut of applying one response, you know, this is how mm-hmm. we treat this. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I think by and large our field wants to see each individual as unique, as having a, a separate set of way of joining and attaching and and being in their own body, in their own life, and in their relationships. And mm-hmm. I think that's where, you know, my approach is is based in an intersubjective approach, where I'm with each patient, and, and when I'm training and teaching other therapists, I'm, I'm talking about looking at each patient and what they're bringing in and what we as the therapist are bringing in um, so that we're aware that we are also participating in the dynamic. You know, what mm-hmm. we bring to the to the session is going to also... Um, elicit different things from each client. You know, I can't tell you how many different clients I've had say, well, I've, I'm having a very different experience with you than I've had with other therapists. And I'm like, well, I would expect that because I am a different person. And what mm-hmm. I bring into the room is going to be different than what your last therapist or even your next therapist will bring into the room with you. You know, I think mm-hmm. what I what I try to train to and, and teach to and, and, and what I try to practice is being... Um, being attuned to those differences, both within myself and with the patient, you know mm-hmm. what is happening between us, um, mm-hmm. so that I can recognize that. I mean, a, an example of this is I had a client who I referred to yoga, and if you were to ask me what I think, I think she needs to be in her body. To this day, I still think she needs to be in her body. But my mm-hmm. referral to yoga began to become um, an enactment of a dynamic where she felt like I was being kind of like a parent controlling her and telling her what she had to do. And I'm sure. that was, yeah, that wasn't where I was coming from by any means, you know, at least not intentionally. But it really, what the cool thing is it opened up this whole other dynamic in our work that we could then talk about this issue that really had not been present in the room before um, of her issue of feeling controlled or, need, you know, having someone tell her what to do or tell her this is the way. Because our whole work really is about getting her to listen to herself. So if she can really stand up to me and say no this is not what I want to do, I want to do this, um, it, it still works. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? And eventually she mm-hmm. said, well, I decided I want to try Tai Chi. And I said, that's great. You know, I, I think <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's yeah. a lot of literature on Tai Chi as well. You know, and, mm-hmm. and the the goal of my referral has nothing to do with yoga is the answer for everybody. It has mm-hmm. to do with um, wanting you to be present in your body and in your breath and in your movement, regardless of how you uh, achieve that and feel that and experience that. So, yeah. I think that, you know, historically we have a, a funny phenomenon that's happening in this day and age. You know, every decade of being mm-hmm. a psychologist, I've been a psychologist now for four decades, <laughs> so every mm-hmm. decade I watch um, different issues come up from the community and from the way we live. We're so heaped in our technology. I now sit in front of my computer. I write books. I'm interfacing with my social network. I'm on the radio right now in front of my computer. I'm sitting down and passive. Well, I I wouldn't have been passive like that 30 30 years ago. It would have been a very different process. Um, Mm -hmm. We go back into the human species when... Freud was around starting psychoanalysis. People were much more in their body because they were doing physical labor, just keeping themselves fed, clean, yeah. because their house transportation was in the form of walking or dealing with horses. Or you know, we weren't mm-hmm. passive in our body, and yet we were still having emotional processes. Now we have to think about 
we had to think awkwardly about our body as if somehow, oh, where did this come from? Boy, that's right, I'm still attached to this body. If I'm in the midst of a, a Zen moment where I've been writing for hours, I wake up out of that, uh, that hypnotic state of writing and look at my body and go, oh, yeah, that's right, we need to be in movement here. So I think that uh, we now have to more than ever say, hey, there's a mind-body connection here and you really do have a body that will affect your emotions and the way you respond to trauma and stress and so forth and so on. That has not been true all through the decades of our profession. No, I agree. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. I I Um, fully agree with that. In in terms of, um, you know, I think it would be very helpful for listeners to heal from uh, chronic fatigue who have that. And that also is a very interesting history in terms of the last 30 years of research on um, that type of fatigue was thought to be purely emotional. Then mm-hmm. it began to be seen as associated to trauma and mm-hmm. trauma memories in the body. And mm-hmm. now it's possible that it's related to immunological issues that could have as much to do with what we eat mm-hmm. and our environment as any of those things. Right. So for those listeners that have chronic fatigue syndrome or related sorts of fibromyalgia, related sorts of complications, Mm -hmm. what are some of the treatments that uh, you would recommend that individuals engage in in terms of that whole mind-body connection? Well, now, Carol, I want to be very um, honest that I don't feel like I have a set regimen of what someone needs to do and my what i really have discovered okay, over well time said. <laughs> yeah when i what i've discovered over time when i've met others um it's um with chronic fatigue or this mix of immune system deficiency you know that the, these that package that you described very well um i find that it it requires typically a, a mix of both traditional and complementary alternative interventions i mean that's what i'm doing at moonstone center with you know the, the mental health field is looking at a combination of those, an integration of those two approaches. It's Eastern and Western. I think we need both the yin and the yang. You need, <laughs> you kind of need mm-hmm. all the whole. And and I think these illnesses are really not specific. It's not like it's one specific treatment regimen as much as holistically attending to your body. Um, I know mm-hmm. for myself, my diet was really key. Um, my hormone levels were and are still at issue. Um, my um, I had anemia at one point, um, which could be tied to my diet, which could be tied to my mm. hormones. Um, I had uh, I also had a pattern of go 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 and not listening to my body. I mean, I would just keep charging mm. ahead and not pay attention. I mean, I really was disconnected. And if you'd said I was disconnected, I would have probably said, uh oh, oh no no no, you know. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. in hindsight, I'm like, I wasn't really paying attention. Um, my nutrition still, if I'm off, there's a set diet. Um, you know, mine was uh, candida-based, which is, you know, systemic yeast. It was throughout my body and my bloodstream. Um, yeah. And the hormones, the adrenals, my adrenals, I, I, I characterize as my adrenals were shot. I mean, they just were not there. And I get a B12 mm. shot every week. Um, I mm. am not, I, you know, as much as I preach yoga, I ebb and flow with how consistent I am. But when I am consistent, I am better. Um, mm. And, um, you know, I go to acupuncture. There was a time when I did not use acupuncture. There was a time I integrated it in. It was very powerful. 
Um, and I think sometimes what works, uh, homeopathic medicine, I found very helpful up to a point. Um, I also needed mm-hmm. Western medicine. Um, and I, what I think is it's a complex, your body is somehow out of balance. It's not integrated well. And I think, yeah, trauma people, people who've been through trauma, you know, especially as children, is probably into their bodies, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I do think mm-hmm. our environment is full of toxins. You can just look at the air some days mm-hmm. around L.A. or any other city. Um, Memphis can look horrible when I fly in there, when I visit Tennessee. Um, and these are beautiful cities and wonderful, but you know, the pollution's in the air, so we don't know what that's doing. We find every year about another food item or food source that's got this or that, you know. And I I just think that, um, and then I think we're also learning about individual allergies. People have food allergies that maybe they weren't as tuned into as they were before. So there's just a lot of a lot of pieces to it. And and to me, that's why I'm saying it's a holistic approach. Um, and when I refer to the acupuncturist, she's got her whole other assessment, and she's working at balancing the different organ systems and the energy and in the body in a way that is slightly different. It's a similar language to yoga, but it's a little bit different. She's trained in Chinese medicine and has herbal remedies for things, and um, and they're very powerful and effective. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, for certain things, for certain things, and so mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I, I think it's more of it requires that people listen to their bodies, that they mm-hmm. um, not stop when the Western doctor says there's nothing else we can do because usually mm-hmm. there is something else that can be done. Mm-hmm. It may not be in traditional Western medicine. It might be in, you know, complementary alternative approaches or in mm-hmm. Eastern medicine. Um, practices um and increasingly there are doctors out there that are blending both mm-hmm. you know the doctors that helped me the most were western trained one was also chinese medicine trained another one was western trained but very open to and actively using herbal mm-hmm. remedies to interface with her you know hardcore use of <laughs> western prescription meds you know what i mean so mm-hmm. it wasn't it's the integrated folks that are i think have the that are the most um productive most efficient most effective well, oh, thanks. That's a that's a great description. I think as a psychologist, we uh, you really do portray how psychologists, counselors, marriage therapists, none none of us can uh, sit comfortably thinking that we're only dealing with the mind and the emotions. We're also dealing with the body, and yeah. we're in, they're an integrated whole unit. It can you know we we also had a recent um, person Joyce. Teresa Joyce had talked about sexual abuse, and uh-huh. I'm mindful that when you're talking about trauma, that the body, the emotions, the brain remembers trauma, abuse, and tragedy, and Absolutely. that that in the process of remembering that, uh, it, it is we can avoid, we can pretend, we can even grow beyond it, and then have to revisit it, like uh, like because there's a trigger that goes on. But how do you see your integrative approach uh, with a big agree, a big element of what you offer as a psychotherapist, a, a psychologist, and then integrating it with these other individuals? How do you see a person with trauma, tragedy, or abuse being able to look at themselves and say, oh, I'm this collective, on all these levels I need to nurture, and then I, I go first to a psychologist or maybe a medical doctor, but how, how would you see the integration of that process Um, Well, I mean, that's. I think my answer is at the core of how Moonstone Center works, Um, and and that is through collaborative treatment teaming. 
Um, I, I have several cases um, right now who uh, maybe are not coming to me specifically for sexual abuse, but I, I can't, I mean, we know this as therapists, that once if someone comes in for one reason or another, it is not uncommon that sexual abuse is underneath some of the symptoms that they're presenting with initially. And and the sexual abuse may be also connected to physical abuse and emotional abuse that's not all by the same person. You know, it's all one family system. Or um, So that's not that uncommon to have that unfold in our offices. At least it's not been my experience that it's uncommon. I, I see it pretty regularly to the point that I'm expecting it to show up. And if it doesn't, that's fine, but I'm not surprised when it does. Mm-hmm. I, how that works, though, I mean, we're doing an event. Moonstone's putting on a um, training, six CEU hours um, on May 18th, all about how we mm. collaborate, how we treatment team, how we each honor our own discipline, how we learn from each other, um, how we teach each other what to look for and how to think about what it is we're doing. Not to the point that I begin, begin to do acupuncture or yoga therapy, but to the point that I can recognize when this is a good time to make that referral. And when I can recognize when they say, you know, if the acupuncturist says, you know, she's, she, our early jokes where she would say things like, well, her liver's running really hot. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know what that means. And I don't have time to learn all the organs and what they're doing. But over time, through our conversations, I I understand that when the, the acupuncturist who's trained in Chinese medicine is talking about the organs, she's not talking about organs the way we do in Western medicine. She's talking about there's different systems that hold different energies and the emotions are attached to these energies. And then eventually we discover that however the body is holding that particular energy is also related to the emotion experience that I'm seeing uh, develop and emerge in the session. And the yoga therapist is helping the client move through their body. Sometimes the yoga therapist, will, Simone, will contact me and say, you know, um, she came in and moved into this pose and just broke into sobs and cried the whole session. And those are moments that I may have or may not have. Do you mean I don't need to have her then come and cry with me and talk about it? Um, that's the other thing is that I'm not saying, well, I heard you cried in your yoga session. What was that all about? I'm I'm not necessarily doing that. Um, I have found that when the clients are moving through this, they're coming to each of us and working through what they need to work through with each of us. And that the key is, is that we are all talking to each other so we have a unified understanding of the patient not that the patient carries the burden of talking about it over and over again. Because sometimes the body memory is not related to a verbal, mental, cognitive process that needs to be talked about. Sometimes it's pre-verbal. Sometimes they dissociate it out and they don't really have a thought process, but their body took it. Um, And sometimes the body just held it while they moved through it. Sometimes I find that they will, patients will talk about it the same week that they dealt with it in their body, Without my prompting, it just mm. happens. And then there's mm-hmm. times that I, I increasingly know you need to t- have you seen Kathleen Lowry? That's the acupuncturist on our team. Have you seen Kathleen this week? I see her tomorrow. You might want to talk to her, tell her that you're kind of out of balance. You were kind of out of balance. Maybe she can get you a little bit balanced in your energy. Um, mm. You know, one of our clients talked about how she she actually set up her week so that she could see Simone on one day. Well, she saw me on Monday. She would see Simone on Tuesday. By Wednesday, I saw her twice a week. On Wednesday, I saw her again. 
she had been more opened up in her body. The stuff we worked up on Wednesday was always deeper than Monday, and partly because it was mm-hmm. my second session, but also mm-hmm. because her body had been opened up, and usually it was very mm-hmm. related to whatever Simone had had happened in that session. Mm-hmm. She scheduled her acupuncture after that and said that whatever got stirred up through the week, she found that Kathleen, through the where she placed the needles, that her energy would just release all of it. At the end, by mm-hmm. the end of the session, she was back calm and it excuse me, and at peace, and she felt like it all just kind of released. Mm-hmm. So that's not everybody's experience. I'm just saying it was just one example of how one person um, mm-hmm. experienced it and put it together. But it's the treatment, it's the power of the collaborative treatment teaming. I mean, that's the name of our, our um, training is because that's what we're mm-hmm. experiencing. And it is so exciting that we're trying to let others know what we're doing, how we're doing it, why it's important to do you know, and and address it. So I, I would also say if people are interested in that, that they should go to the website, consider, you know, attending. We still have spaces open. If you're in practice as a yoga therapist or a yoga teacher or acupuncturist, and, of course, as a mental health professional, because we're able to give CEUs to psychologists, MFTs, and LCSWs. And, oh, yeah. and if you're, yeah, and if you're a, a person who's not a professional, you're someone who goes to therapy or goes to acupuncture or goes to yoga, and this is of interest to you, it's okay to bring it up with those people and say, do you ever treatment team with other people? You yeah. know, would you be willing to right. talk to, you know, my therapist? or And and people may be more open than you realize. And if they're not, you can say, well, I heard this person talking about it. And then, you know, maybe they want to explore more and find out how to do it. But um, I think it's the direction we have to go in our, fi- in our field, not just mental health, but just health care. <laughs> Do you foresee yourself, Dr. Krim, ever having all of you under the same roof? I don't know. The same, same clinical I, structure? Oh, don't I, know. Don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. We at one point we're we're all independent practitioners. Our offices are mm-hmm. all in different locations in the South Bay of LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are pros and cons to being all under one roof, mm-hmm. and pros and cons to being not all under one roof. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's. There was one point where we were going to go look at a building and be all together, and I think just the practicality of everybody had different leases that were up at different times, and uh, it was a business decision in part, you know. But it, but it was also that my clients know where to come to me for here, and th- these clients go here. And, and acupuncturist even commented the other day. She said, "Well, she's not like we they're going to come into one building and do it all in one day. We wouldn't even recommend it, you know." So um, I, I'm not saying no, but this kind of virtual center, <laughs> kind, of what, kind of what we call it, um, is working right now for us. And, um, you know, I, I think, it had, like I said, it has its pros and its cons. And, and there are centers forming that have everybody under one roof, and that, that could happen. I, I just think it's about us continuing to listen um, to what's, what's what what's building for us. I mean, we meet once a month and we go over cases and we've been preparing for the upcoming training and that's focused us even more um with that goal in mind, but it you know, we treat it as if we're all in one center, but we do it creatively, if that makes sense. So, yeah. if a person's going to come to this treatment team through you first again, how do they contact you? What's what's the process? If they want to contact me by phone, that's 310 371 Two eight zero zero, extension one pound specifically, but that that's the main number. Uh, my email is Elizabeth Krim, PhD, at Moonstone Center 
dot com and Elizabeth is spelled with an S. And then they can go to the website too. Um, there's contact information there as well, and that's moonstonecenter.com. dot com. So um, you know that that's how they best can start with me. And I can get you know if even if they call me and they say I've already got a therapist, but I was interested in the yoga therapist, I'm I can you know distribute all that information for them as well. So. Okay, so we, we, we have those those different ways of approaching you. You know, one I was so struck by the power of the mind body uh issue that I decided to go ahead and get certified as a fitness trainer and certified as a nutrition counselor, not in mm-hmm. terms of being a master, you know, like a master trainer mm-hmm. getting an MA in nutrition, but just so that I felt like I could uh, say to the client, this is relevant to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yes, this is all relevant to you. And some people would come and say, okay, I know I need to exercise. I know I need to eat and take an appropriate amount of nutrition in. And so we could talk about it very much in the present moment. And, and mm-hmm. I even have equipment in my office where I get them to do movement mm-hmm. so that they'll, mm-hmm. so they, they, they so we can talk about the psychology and the feeling of moving their body and what it's like mm-hmm. to be either estranged from their body or to be um, connected to their body. And then if, by way of hypnosis, what's so interesting is they're going so deep into a state of mm-hmm. relaxation, but you can actually activate their body mm-hmm. um, by by talking about their cells. And people yes. will come out and go, my goodness, I can actually feel the cells in my body wake up. Yes. So that... Um, what I'm trying to illustrate is that there's so many different ways or paths into the process of awakening oneself and being fully human and fully part of life. Um, Absolutely. That that it's nice to have these tools all over the place so that yeah. at any given moment a person's ready for it and go, okay, let's just like tickle. Let's tickle the interest. Let's tickle mm-hmm. the concern. Let's tickle the, the connection there so they can actually experience it in the moment. Right. And it sounds like your group has taken us to a whole other height of, of when a, a, a client is willing and able to invest in all of these dimensions. They will wake up all of these dimensions of themselves. But that is a beautiful thing to watch them enliven yeah. all of these dimensions of themselves. Yeah. yeah. Close, close us out. We have a couple more minutes. Close us out with a story that you can tell confidentiality, um, being obviously completely honored, which you have done throughout, yeah. um, but a story where you feel a person has come to this more holistic experience of themselves and been able to walk so the path of life of such vigor and um, presence. Well, we, we, we have one. I think it's the one I t- was already mentioning who um, set up her sessions in a way that you know, Monday she saw me, Tuesday she saw Simone, Wednesday she saw me, Thursday she saw Kathleen. So she had psychotherapy, yoga therapy, psychotherapy, acupuncture. And um, I can tell you that she had both, she had some chronic pain issues. She was severely, not severely, I would say moderately depressed, spikes Mm. into severe. Um, We also had her, she also had a psychiatrist on that team. Um, she was on antidepressants. So I really want to drive home that we're not saying no antidepressants. She, several of my clients who are doing all this are also on antidepressants. Um, mm. She, Her relational dynamics um, had a narcissistic parent, um, difficulty in relationships, very passive, not owning her place in relationships, um, is now reducing her therapy on her own, titrating us all out, and... Um, 
active in her life, active in her life, has a boyfriend. She's in a relationship that's healthy and committed, and it doesn't mean they won't need to do couple work at some point or she doesn't need to continue her her therapy here. And, you know, we increase it when it needs to and decrease it. But she's gone from at one point two times a week to now every other week. And... um with an eye toward letting her go. Does does that mean all of her issues are resolved? No. But does that mean she's living her life with awareness? She knows when she needs to come in for more. She knows Mm. what to do. She has an active yoga practice. She is eating healthier. She has a partner Mm. with whom she lives and moves and has being with. And it's She's living a full, she's living. That's what the team says about her. We all go, wow, she's really living. She's living now. And that's really the goal. You know, it's not perfection. It's yeah. it's living, yeah. So um, that that's what we're all about, and um, that to me is the power. The power of the collaborative treatment teaming is that the, the individual's getting to live, and um, so I know where it ends. I just want to say thank you for having me on. Well, you know, everybody, you can reach Dr. Elizabeth Krim, spelled with an S, at. Uh, can I give the address to your location? Sure. Sure. Yeah, 3424 West Carson Street, and that's in Torrance, California, zip 90503. A phone number to reach at is 310-371-2800. And you can also uh, look her up on Moonstone Center, spelled like it sounds, .com, moonstonecenter.com. And that, of course, is on the front page of this program as it would be archived and listened to. And uh, I, I, I know Dr. Elizabeth Krim personally, and she is an amazing therapist, deeply dedicated to the well-being of the people who see her, and very connected and involved. She's not aloof, not remote, and she's not there yawning through the session. She's present, and you will begin to con- you know, tap into your own presence and the healing process. Uh, Dr. Krim, you're also not uh, a stranger to difficulties and strains and stress. I appreciate you being so vulnerable and open about that during our time. And I think that's important for people to know about a therapist, that we're not sitting here um, from our Eiffel Tower untouched, but we are actually in the trenches right along with everybody else and uh, figuring out ways to live life fully, completely, but nonetheless understanding what the trenches are like. Thanks for sharing the time with us. Thank you. Take care. Listeners, thank you for joining us, and talk to you later.